Welcome back to Entertainment Geekly. I'm Darren Franich. With me, as always, is EW's Jeff Jensen. Darren, how are you this week? Jeff, I'm doing so well. I'm so excited for this. We've been building this podcast for a while now. Uh, we're going to be talking about Fringe. We're going to be saying everything there is to say about Fringe this week. Uh, our listeners know that uh, the show is finally coming to an end this Friday. I believe it's a two-hour series finale. Uh, so much to explore here, so much that I think is really central to what this podcast is all about. Um, but uh, I want to kind of just, just start off here. Jeff, you've been recapping the show this season. It took a really, uh, I mean, even even for a show that has arguably completely rebooted itself at least twice before in its run, this season has been completely different in a lot of ways from what came before. Maybe not different enough in some ways, uh, but I, I, wanted to, I wanted to just ask you, as someone who's been there in the trenches with this season, how do you feel about where the show is now and you know where it's all kind of ending up uh, after its many years of kind of barely staying on television? <laughs> <laughs> I would say my feelings about the last season of Fringe um, are mixed to positive. Um, uh, you know, this year they've they've chosen to tell a story that, like as you said, is very different from uh, seasons past. Not just in terms of the, the content of the story, but to, su- to some degree the storytelling approach. Um, you know, we uh, all of a sudden have jumped. Um, decades, uh, a couple decades um, into the future um, for a very heavily serialized, like almost like 13 hour feature film, if you will, that is um, track the story of our of our heroes who were, were frozen in amber and then thawed out and now find themselves in a dystopian world ruled by the observers and have been going on this epic scavenger hunt to collect pieces of a, of a puzzle that will allegedly all add up to a master plan that will um, vanquish the observers and, uh, and, and, and then save our world from, from, from their oppression and maybe even a, a whole, the, the whole future from which they come from. And so it's very different from the show that we watched for four seasons, which always had a mytholo- big picture mythology and always had some sort of ar- overarching storylines that held together a season, um, uh, even multiple seasons but we're also really largely defined by like a case of the week kind of structure, um, a quote-unquote freak of the week or monster of the week kind of thing where they were investigating some strange sci-fi anomaly, some bit of fringe science business in their world. And, uh, and, and, and that made for really kind of compelling, unique stories week to week. And we haven't really seen that much of that, if at all, this season. Um, and that took some adjusting. I, I've, always, I've grown to really, really like um, that kind of storytelling from the show and um, as, as, as much as I've also really enjoyed its big picture mythology storytelling. Um, but I, I, I've admired, I, the thing I've always admired about Fringe is that it's always dared to be something different every year. Um, it's, it's, some, it's bitten off big challenges, sometimes more than it can chew. And, um, and, and this season is no exception. Um, like this idea of like you know pursuing its essential themes and ideas, and um, through the, the the perspective of through this kind of story, which is very different, very different kind of story than they've ever told. Uh, I, I I I've admired it, um, and and you know I, I think that 
as we get to the end, uh, you know, it, it, it seems to be landing in a pretty good place, although this last episode left us with the possibility, this idea, that the solution to the problem of the observers lies in a time travel twist that could result in the reboot of the entire timeline and hence obliterating the problem of the observers and the whole thing ever goes away. And, and, I'll, and I just, you know, I'm giving, I'm finding myself already feeling a headache trying to wrap my mind around like what that does to the whole seg as a whole. And I've noticed that, you know, many fans on the message boards at EW.com have similar anxieties about what this is going to do possibly to the, to, to their understanding. If, if you view fringe as this epic story that began in season one and um, stretch and, and has laid out this history of this world that begins decades in the past and now extends here into the future and this idea that timeline reboot again is going to reshuffle all these cards and 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 if and if if, if and, and what that's going to possibly do to the integrity of the characters and this has changed them into people that we really don't know then and what kind of like, you know, is it, you know, what kind of victory is it really then for these characters if they can't remember it, if they're rebooted versions of their old selves, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you're getting a headache. I'm giving you a headache. Am I not? No, no, no. Well, this is, I mean, uh, this I think is the interesting thing with regards to Fringe though, Jeff, is that I, I think it's very difficult often hilariously so, to talk about this show without giving yourself a headache and a nosebleed and just, like, a wide variety of time travel and alternate universe-related ailments. Um, but one thing well, one thing that, that you said that I, I think is interesting, though, is the, this sort of idea of the show just consistently rebooting itself because, I mean, if it were to reboot now, if I... Okay, I'm, I'm going to try to map this out. They would be rebooting the future of an already rebooted universe where one character was deleted at, at one point but then brought back in because of love. I, I, I think I'm mapping that out roughly approximately, right? Yes, yes. I mean, I, I think that's, uh, that's probably as simple as you can get it. Uh, you, you could articulate it. I think that such a, 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 a world that you've just described there also contains a, a an idea that's that's really important to the fringe verse is that um, is that it is a world of amazing possibilities and uh, that we don't always understand but it also might be an an, an inherently intrinsically spiritual universe so um, so peter Peter's life gets rubbed out and erased um, in the timeline reboot and yet he survives he endures. Um, because um, the the show kind of believes that um, ultimately he, he he's a spiritual construct and he's going to exist. Uh, he, he has a permanence that transcends time, and so you can't just simply you know re, you know reboot time and, and and get rid of people like um, you know if they've lived they will always live no matter what iteration of the universe you're really well, and, dealing and, with and i i think that this to me is something that kind of goes to the core of what what made what what to me past tense made fringe great 
and what kind of consistently makes it interesting, even if I think that it hasn't quite lived up to some of its earlier seasons. It sort of seems like even when you go back and look at season one and season two, when it was in some ways a much more procedural show, it was built on a really interesting concept. And it all kind of came out of the character Walter, where... You know, you have this really kind of fantastic drapery of of science fiction, and you know, there's always like you know the scenes where they're using you know these elaborate wire contraptions, and you know they're using this admixture of drugs and electricity, and you know a wide variety of you know scientific chromosomes that were just invented for the show. But I, I feel like mo- in most of the show's best episodes, there was that kind of sense that, and when Walter always kind of espoused this, that you know the human brain and the human heart and like these things that you know were were much more basic and you know much more humane that they could really have momentous kind of cosmic proportions which is something that I I, I think it was it was always something that I I liked about the show I I sort of feel bad I I I didn't mean to be so dismissive of this idea of love kind of bringing Peter Peter back because I understand what you meant meant. well because you know there's there's this sort of great sense that you know the show was kind of about how even if we're dealing with these cosmic ideas, these characters still have a real weight to them. Um, but but I, I, I sort of wanted to ask you a little bit more about, specifically with this season, this was so constructed, you know, they said going into it, this is going to be just kind of one long, explicitly serialized story. And in, in a way, it even kind of feels like it's a much more old-fashioned science fiction story. I mean, this idea of fighting the observers, as sort of interesting as they are, you know, they're certainly a much less intrinsically complicated force than, say, the alternate universe, where you kind of had this whole assortment of interesting people in in play. Do you kind of feel like they have successfully kind of managed to transform the show? Um successfully managed to transform the show into what do you mean well i guess i guess basically what i'm asking is you sounded kind of kind of hesitant about it earlier basically like oh. do you do you sort of like like just flat out do you think that this was a success or, or do you think that they just kind of overreached a little bit in trying to turn it into this sort of dystopian uh save the world ongoing story across 13 episodes i see what you mean like did they successfully realize what they wanted to be this year? Um, Strangely enough, I really think that it's put itself in a position where the final two hours are uh, like need to be seen in order to really answer that question. Um, I don't know if I would have said that about any other season of fringe, but you know, like um, I really think they have to nail the, the landing. And I think the the landing has to be, um, emotionally satisfying, but, but, but maybe, but definitely intellectually satisfying too. Like, um, I, I would, I would be, I, I'm really looking to the show to explain to me why we had to go through, um, you know, the 10 or 11 hours of what we went through in order to build up to a solution that is simply, like let's let's just press a button in such a way that that just renders everything that we just experienced you know um you know just destroys it uh-huh. <laughs> you know what i mean like uh-huh. Let's just erase the bad guys from existence. The example of Peter would seem to suggest that that might be a lot like um you know easier said than done right um uh, if 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 what is meant to be is meant to be like you just can't you know scrub the observers out of existence i guess 
and on top of all of this, there, there's part of me, as I kind of said in my most recent recap and in the, in the uh, message boards as I was dialoguing with readers, I, I just don't think they're going to do it. I don't think that the meanings of – I think that if you've been following, like, you know, Fringe, uh, like, I think that the, the, the solutions that they're – I think the story of the final two hours is that the solutions that they're chasing to the problem are, are, are wrong. You know, like that, that's like, that's, this is not the answer. This is not the way it may not even be possible. It certainly is alluring and tempting just to figure out a way to, to do the lost thing, right? The, uh, the Juliet banging on Jughead and just erasing the timeline and resetting things. That's the easy way out. <laughs> Circa lost here to, to pull from lost. I just don't think that, um, I just don't think that, that, I, I, there's something philosophically, maybe even morally, sort of uh, about that that I, I have qualms with. But I say that without having seen the story that Fringe is going to tell, and and, and maybe they can make a really good argument to it. So I want to go into it with an open mind. But I I I, I really uh, 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 but you know I think it's really coming down to it in terms of you know so. So there's, that's the first half to my, uh, of my answer to your question. The second half is I think that this season, this premise has given us some really good episodes and some really interesting beats. Um, I thought that there was a lot of promise, um, and I, I, thought the, I thought the whole idea of, um, of breaking Peter's heart and Olivia's heart and the whole team's heart with the death of their adult daughter, Etta, um, and then um, sending, using that as a catalyst that sends um, Peter down this sort of dark night road of, uh, of, of arming himself with great power, i.e. By, by becoming an observer himself, by taking the tech that gives them sort of like omniscience almost and uh, quantum processing and even teleportation and strength putting it in his head and sort of becoming this super-powered entity as he kind of pursues this vengeance quest against the observers. Um, I thought that was a really great idea. Um, and I think the early episodes in this sort of mini storyline in the heart of the season really pulled it off. Um, the climax of that, of, of that story seemed a little bit... Um, like perfunctory, like it almost felt like, well, we're not going to go that way. Like, <laughs> we, we gave that a spin, and uh, we decided, okay, let's like park that car and move on. Um, um, and, and and but they did it in such a way that affirmed some core values of Fringe, um, kind of dealing with the past, dealing honestly, honestly, the past, forgiving, um, you know, affirming the relationship between Peter and. Um, and Olivia and what they mean to each other. And I've always really liked the Peter and, and Olivia romance. I'm not a big shipper, but the, but in general, and I think that usually the, the, the feeling of obligation that showrunners often have to sort of have romance in their show um, can subvert a show in some ways. Um, I, I think it's often done poorly. Um, I think that they that the showrunners felt a similar obligation to do that in Fringe, but I think they did it really, really well. I've always bought Peter and Olivia. I've understood that these two people um, who are sort of very alone and lonely in the world would would find and, and, and who are very attractive 
would would find kind of like connection and attraction with each other and would take shelter in each other um, to some degree as they find themselves their world completely defined by and overwhelmed by one crazy freaking thing after another that tries to kill them and kill their world and um, there are no two people in the world, you know, like for, for, for Olivia, there's no one else but Peter that can really understand who she is, what she's going through, what she's dealing with, and Peter vice versa. And the, the, the show has always sort of like um, presented their romance and their relationship in almost a more soul, uh, a, a, a cool but deep soulful way as opposed to a lusty passionate way you well, know? and well and like I, I think also what you're tapping into is something that I, I've always really liked about the show I mean you know the, the, there is a side of me that does think that the more procedural ish episodes of fringe are in some ways a really cool sci-fi riff on castle which is which is totally fine by the way but where I think the show really succeeded and for me where I think it really penetrated into some interesting emotional spaces is it always felt less like you know they were like oh of course they're getting together they're the main couple and they have chemistry and they're both attractive and it was more kind of like these are two very damaged people who really yeah. who really kind of want a family and and what, what, yeah. where where i think the show also really succeeded was even as it was kind of building up their relationship you know and and their kind of will they or won't they and did they and he did it with which one of her there was also this real sense that they were creating like walter always felt like he was an member of that will they or won't they and it was kind of less of a romance and more of a you know can these people each broken in, in their own way kind of form this new family unit I, I think it's also worth pointing out that the show really did build up to that over the course of its first few years I mean like you know uh, far you know uh, Olivia always seemed like whenever we heard about her family life, it really felt very kind of real and very emotional in a way that I think sort of added a lot more to her where, you know, initially she kind of just seemed like she's a really cool J.J. Abrams heroine. Like, yeah, like and I, I really feel like we got such great shading with her. And then certainly all the stuff between Walter and Peter and their kind of, you know, very gradual reformulation of their father son relationship was was always very very well handled. I mean, I, I think yeah. that I, I think that that's kind of I, I I know like having kind of dug into the comment boards on, on your recaps. There are definitely people who I, I think with some you know some legitimacy. You know, they they kind of watch Fringe less for that kind of character interaction and more for the kind of lofty sci-fi stuff. But to me, I mean, and again, I think this is why the creators really deserve a, a, a lot of credit with how they took the show. At its best, it really managed to weave together the cosmic sci-fi stuff and you know the real emotional you know family stuff in a way that made the two seem inseparable basically yeah i totally i i I think well said i and that's where i think the show really feels meaningful to me and why i will um i think i'll be sad to see you know see it go um which is i think that what i've really been struck by especially in the past couple years is just this story of this of this tightly knit group of people who they have issues and they have a lot of stuff, but they persevere in fighting through them. And they realize that um, all they have is each other and they need this community to survive a world that's just gone crazy. And, um, and, 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 and they, and I just love their perseverance, um, which I find very inspiring and meaningful and kind of, even kind of relevant in, in, in today's world. They are this family, 
and, 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 and they are committed to each other, and that commitment deepens and grows as they kind of have to endure one crazy sucker punch of quantum hoo-ha um, season after season, you know, um, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, um, parallel worlds that threaten to co- collide and destroy them or reboots that threaten to sort of obliterate the very intrinsic nature of their existence, but they somehow recover it and and, 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 and reconnect even more deeply to being flung into the future here. Like, um, like the best ending of Fringe for me is like, you know, it'll... It, it, some sort of real head spitting cataclysmic event, but kind of like reset. Like, I don't, I don't think there should be any ending of the show that finds them retired and enjoying a happily ever after. It's like, okay, well, we've, we, we've solved the problem of the observers. Now let's go back to work tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, because the world um, is always going to be strange and, and might even get stranger. Um, uh, and uh, anyway, I, I've always liked I've always liked that. Um, now, now, yeah, you, you're really kind of tapping into something that I, 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 let's kind of go big picture if we could for a second here, Jeff, because I think that the the interesting thing about Fringe to me is when it was first introduced. This is back in the back back in the back in the olden times of I think fall 2008. Um, there was this sort of concept behind it that it was going to be this sort of Socratic ideal of a show that was a little bit serialized and a little bit procedural. This this yeah. sort of very, uh, the, you know, t- to me it's sort of like that, that El Dorado hunt for the perfect drama that will appeal to the casual viewer, but so much so that it'll also appeal t- to, to the hardcore viewer. I- I'm, I'm not sure any show has ever quite managed that, but that was kind of the pitch on Fringe. And over the course of its many years, it really did, I think, an interesting job of wavering back and forth between the two. I, I think that it's generally accepted that season one was very much procedural. The only real serialized elements were that sometimes someone would mention the pattern and that would kind of keep on popping up. Season <laughs> season two, you know, we, we kind of had this concept of, of, the, of the alternate universe. Season three, which I, I think for me is just really one of the kind of most thrilling and like fast-paced seasons of, of, of broadcast broadcast TV that I can remember watching, you had this sort of really interesting flipping back and forth between one universe and the other, and that Olivia was over here, and this Olivia was over there. Uh, season four had some of that. In, in hindsight, season four really was a really interesting animal, because you did have one kind of big storyline with Reboot Land, but you also had a lot of really interesting standalone episodes that I, I, I think really informed the characters in interesting ways. And now, of course, we're full on into, you know, Earth final conflict. Each episode leads into the next, as you kind of pointed out, you know, this ongoing storyline. What where do you think? I guess I should what I should really just say is, do you think Fringe was how do you think it was as a procedural show? And how do you think it was as a serialized show? Wow. Um, You know, it's funny because. With the example of this season aside, I, I've never really under—I've never really seen uh, or viewed Fringe necessarily as a serialized show in the way that I view, say, like um, Lost as a serialized show. Um, it, it, it seems more reminiscent of the X Files, where you had much more of a procedural, 
show that had these sort of like big picture mythological elements that played out over the course of a show. But 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 clearly, I, I understand your point. Like beginning um, with the second half of the first season, and especially in the second season, we and especially in the third, even more so, we begin to see much more serialization um, and much more of a feeling of like. We're, we're writing to the people who watch the show. Yeah, I, I guess like like like, like we're, that's really we're writing to institutional memory. Yeah, that's really kind of the right definition. I mean, I I feel like the term serialized is a little bit hazy, but to me, it kind of means like someone new checks in. We 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 are no longer catering to them, basically, or or we're 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 expecting like a certain amount of you know that that you'll you'll get it when we like throw things out at you without necessarily you know explaining them immediately. Right. <laughs> Well, so to your question, I think that it it, it did both of those things pretty brilliantly. Um, I think it did mythological storytelling really well. I think it did standalone storytelling um, really well, especially when you get into the second season and um, and and they start latching into locking into a, a a way of telling standalone stories that feel very. Um, richly informed by the mythology and by these sort of ongoing character concerns, um, as opposed to just being straight up procedurals in which the characters are, for all practical purposes, practical purposes, not really characters, but just executing their archetypal investiga- investigator's function, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, like you know, we're, we're as as you guys are listening to this, we should be posting our gallery of our picks of the, uh, the the 19 best fringe episodes ever um, and I would say the 19 best episodes couldn't yes. couldn't 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 go 20 couldn't go 10 had to go 19 <laughs> you know if you're a fringe fan you know the significance of the number 19 right? I know I know <laughs> so, but I would say that our picks for the first three um, really kind of like um, kind of like like go to the point that you're raising here, which is that um, without saying what they are, because we want you to read the gallery. Um, uh, read the gallery now at, at EW.com. Sorry, that was my announcer voice. Way to, way to go there, um, <laughs> Tom Pardo. And, uh, uh, you know, one of our choices is White Rabbit. Uh, oh, 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 geez. White Tulip. <laughs> white Rabbit. I was about to say White Rabbit. White Orchid, <laughs> it's, it's White Tulip, right? The white Tulip was the, the, the one in which Peter Weller plays the scientist who kind of like turns his body into a living time machine in order to find a way to save his wife um, who, who, who has died. Um, it's just this, I mean, out of the blue in the middle of the second season was, was a revelation. I mean, it wasn't just the best episode of Fringe, you know, one of the best episodes of Fringe ever. It felt like this is just superb television, like really heady ideas mixed with really inventive storytelling, mixed with really emotionally resonant, like feeling, um, mixed with sort of something that really pushes P- uh, uh, Walter's story forward. Um, and that was just a great standalone, like, story that feels like, um, yeah, it just felt like classic science fiction television and great drama. But our other two picks that are in the top three as well are, for in my opinion, just sort of textbook on how you do mythological storytelling. I mean, which is the double whammy of Peter and Subject 13, in which we went into 
um, you know, uh, into the past, and we um, we saw the story of how Walter essentially created the Fringe universe and the problem of the Fringe universe as we know it. Um, when after the death of his son Peter, he kind of scans the the over there world and sees his sees the alternate Peter suffering from the same affliction that killed his son, and he he, he feels he has a way to save him, so he crosses over, takes him, and then this has horrible ramifications. Um, the sequel to that, Subject 13, um, reveals sort of like young Peter's hard adjustment to living in the over here world and how he um, uh, forms a, a, you know, finds some hope for going on after meet, meeting the acquaintance of young Olivia. Um, and in both of these things, these are huge mythological stories that explain the entire fringe verse to you, um, and uh, are just feel like are just huge downloads of of, of 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 important stuff to know on a data level, um, but are extremely character driven and emotionally rich, and just like, you know, if you know, I just dare say that if I was you know, if someone was trying to create a science fiction fantasy show and they were like, how do we approach our mythology? Um, what 10 episodes of any television would you recommend I watch to figure out how to do it? Like, Peter and Subject 13 would be among the first three I would offer anyone. It does seem like they, they both have this really interesting ability to... Peter, in particular, just like kind of dives right into one of the kind of most enjoyable and kind of interesting storylines you can tell in science fiction, which is the alternate universe, and then manages to tell that story in in, in under an hour in a way that feels, you know, uh, uh, it feels somehow much more, you know, personal than you would expect. I, I think this, this, this is always the thing about Fringe that surprised me since I was kind of a latecomer because, you know, having sort of heard about it, I was sort of imagining in my head brain this sort of really kind of like like elaborate sci-fi tapestry. And although it did have that, it, it was much more of a, this this sort of almost chamber drama of, you know, Walter and, you know, his his wife, his 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 his, his poor wife, that, that lady who, who, who played uh, Walter's wife in both universes Versus, I always kind of enjoyed her appearances because it was just always this this poor suffering human being. And then, yeah, though the whole story of Peter was always so interesting. Also, yeah, well, I mean, something to keep in mind is that I mean, what, what what's really interesting about both of those episodes and how you know, in the and and the early years of Fringe in particular, is that they were produced in sort of the aftermath of Lost, right? Um, and as television was trying to grapple with, and I think you alluded to this to some degree, which is, man, it would be great to have a show like Lost. And, man, it would be great to have a show like Lost that doesn't have any of the problems of Lost. <laughs> you know, um, which is I, I, I want a show that is very creative, very bold, um, that allows for amazing storytelling in the sci-fi genre often allows for that, right? Um, and the fantasy genre often allows for that. And, uh, and uh, so we, we love those kinds of shows, um, and we want strong characters like Lost and emotionally resonant characters like Lost. Um, but we, we want light serialization because we don't want people to feel like they're lost, so to speak. Um, we don't want this overwhelming, uh, mounting, escalating, compounding crush of mythology um, which just like um, where, 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 where 
people feel like they have to like keep track of so many ongoing mysteries and um, and, and 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 formulate in their head all this backstory that's either shown or described and in order to make sense and of of of, of the present day and. Uh, and just sort of make it a little bit more user friendly, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I think that you know there was, you know, there's kind of this sense of, you know, can it be like Lost except they're cops, and uh, <laughs> and each episode is pretty much like, you know, is pretty much by itself. And I, I think that you know, the, the interesting thing about those episodes that you mentioned, I I, I sort of feel like there's. There's a, this sort of uh, aspect of TV fandom now that I, I think really disregards procedural storytelling. And to me, like, what a great procedural can do is, you know, let's say it's whether it's a doctor show or a cop show or a lawyer show, um, it can kind of, uh, you know, whatever case they're working on or, you know, whatever person they're, you know, trying to cure, <clears throat> somehow that interior subplot of an episode speaks to something in the main characters. Now, when this goes wrong, you get an episode of Grey's Anatomy where they're trying to cure someone who has a bad heart. And do you get it, Jeff? It's because her heart is broken in this episode. And so she's curing this guy's heart and it's all... Um, but, you know, when it's when it's good, uh, you know, I, I, I think you get an episode like White Tulip where somehow, you know, Peter Weller's character feels totally rich and, you know, the sort of sub, the, the single episode plot line that he gets is just like you know wonderful and then it literally manages to impact directly on you know this these things that walter is feeling you know over the course of an episode and it really even creates a minor epiphany for walter at the end which which i think is really interesting right that that kind of symmetrical storytelling where that you know the plot mirrors like some you know or parallels some kind of character thing yeah that could be really contrived um and um and i think that sometimes you, uh, you you may not even know know it until you actually produce it. You know, you, you write it, you think you're being really smart, you just talk yourself into thinking that, you know, it'll feel organic on the screen and in the execution, and you realize, no, it it, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> like, but, but, and White Tulip could have gone that way, but somehow it doesn't. Somehow it, all the, 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 the elements of that episode, like, mixed together and, and, and form something that feels really transcendent. And you said a word um, in, in, in your response. I really kind of feel that goes to the heart of the matter, which is that, um, like, Fringe won by being personal. Um, it sounds so simplistic, um, but um, as much as we all, I always wanted the show to, to just floor the headiness of it all, you know, I don't think that show could have ever been um, um, more like crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, have, I was always rooting for it to kind of really push the experimentation, push the ideas, like like leave us confused and discombobulated and trying to piece, piece together what the hell you just did. Um, like I I. I they, they could have done more of that, I, and, and I wish that they did, to be honest. And yet, like, like it was successful in one by being personal, which was usually unfailingly, like, just great. You know, so... Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I, so, so, and I, I, I kind of think that, uh, you know, to your point, I almost think as, as I look back over the course of the show... Um, 
you know, what made it interesting, and I, I personally think it really peaked in its third season, and that's not necessarily a, a jam against season four and season five, because I really do think that season three of Fringe is really just up there for me as far as, like, this sort of beautifully sustained, uh, you know, momentum from week to week. I mean, that's something that I watched it on DVD and literally just, you know, I, I couldn't stop watching it. I, it. It's, you know, one of the first times that that's happened to me in, in quite a while. Um, and I, what I think was interesting about that season in particular was I think that because of the alternate universe, it almost kind of allowed them to put forward these really interesting questions about its characters in a way that was literally concrete. I mean, you literally kind of had this version of Olivia where she didn't have this tragic backstory. It, you know, in fact, she was sort of a fun you know, very kind of, you know, uh, I, I always say kind of like, you know, a very, a very fiery character Folivia was. At the same time, she was a little bit more morally, morally ambiguous, maybe, maybe a lot more, actually. You know, then you had, uh, you know, Walter Nett, who was just literally a version of Walter who was the exact opposite of, you know, fun, you know, fun, kooky old Walter. This was a guy in full control of his mental facilities, who was in many ways, you know, the show's version of Dr. Doom, but at the same time, he was in many ways much more, um, you know, uh, his basic impulses were, were maybe much more noble than our version of, of Walter's was. And I, I always liked that. I, I sort of feel like, you know, to your point, where season three left off, it felt like they were really going to get into some of that lofty, crazy sci-fi stuff. And it, it, for me, it never quite got there. And I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I, 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 I do sort of think that the best thing about Fringe is that I, I never got the sense that they had a master plan. Like, you know, I, I sort of feel like having a master plan with a show like this can kind of uh, wind up strangling you a little bit. I think it's sort of fun when you're able to kind of improvise a little bit along the way. And I liked a lot of the ideas of the reboot season, but it, it, it just seems like, if, if I recall the end of season three correctly, there's this implication that Walter was basically, like, like he time-traveled way back in time and was, oh God, what was the term for it? I think it was like like first people is that the the, the sort of uh, you the, know the first person mythology that was yes I mean yes I mean keep on going but that's that's what it was called yeah yeah and 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 you know it just seemed like oh man like we are we are on the cusp here we are we are cusping and we are about to get to like you know some really like you know next level season four of Lost kind of stuff and weirdly even though you know this sounds so silly then all the show did is reboot its way into an alternate universe and then go to the future no I mean like the show did interesting um had interesting structural changes but i i always kind of felt like it made those changes in sort of the simplest way possible i i and you know i i i know that this was sort of done for the same reason that you know earlier in the series the show really kept it you know character focused but you know when they went into the future, you know i i i never entirely felt like they explored it in the most compelling way possible. And, and, and in the process, they sort of took the observers who'd always been this really sort of interesting, you know, background people. And, you know, I, I liked some of the revelations, but I never quite got over the idea that they weren't just like, you know, bald, all-male, uh, you know, cover band of the Borg. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's why 
I find like you know as much as I like the show, I I, I do have this sort of complicated uh, you know take on you know what it has kind of done in its last couple of years. Basically, what I'm trying to say is I love season three. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, season three. Like, uh, I think that, you know, one of the things that I was trying to get at is I always felt like the writers had so much more creativity in them than, than they, they were allowed to express sometimes. And, um, and that's why I always kind of felt like that it could always go, you know, it could really kind of like do more. But what, what was wonderful, especially about the first half of season three, is that they had – they had, they had dealt themselves this sort of like storytelling structure where they can go from where, where basically they basically created a whole other universe and a whole other show that they could, un, you know, just pour all of this surplus creativity and all of their ideas out. And, and yeah, the over there version of, of, of fringe was, was really kind of awesome. And, um, and, and one of those early stories, um, um, in season three that was set in the over there world is one of my favorite fringe episodes ever the plateau um, about um, the guy who uh, expands his intelligence and then kind of like kind of goes somewhat sociopathic and starts setting off for you know part at, partly out of revenge and maybe partly out of um, just the sheer hell of it fun of it um, these, these elaborate chain reactions involving a simple pen that has these deadly consequences. Um, and uh, in some ways, the, 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 that approach um, to that character kind of foreshadowed the approach to the observers that we're seeing in, in, in this season. But look, I, I just, that's one of the things I loved about season three is that every, every episode, the first nine, 10, 12 episodes of that season so deep and so rich and it was such that they, they, they had created a, a great storytelling machine for themselves. The second half of the season was, and, and, and great characters too, Bolivia was great, Walternate was great, um, the character played by Seth Gable was great, and his name is eluding me right now. Oh, come on, right. Lincoln, Lincoln Lee? Oh, God. Yes, like, over there, Lincoln Lee was awesome. <laughs> uh, look, I mean, it, it was, that, that was really great. The second half of the season, um, was 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 equally solid too, and I and I was really galvanized by um, the, uh, the the prospect of of the first people mythology and the character Sam Weiss and this sort of like you know like implication um, in the season finale of season three, which is a great episode. And by the way, a, another episode in which Fringe jumped into the future, into the year I think 2026 this time. Um, and I, I dare say that that kind of ver- that view of the future, which presented a, um, a a view of the over here universe that begins to become threatened by the same sort of anomalies that are destroying the over there world, <laughs> like was I, I might argue was a more interesting future mm-hmm. and than the one that we're seeing this season. And and I would you know. If we could do it all over again, I, I kind of wish that we could have gone back to that future and said it. And if we're going to go to a future, let's go to that future because that was a really interesting place. And that was a great episode of Fringe, and that was um, the episode that 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 alluded that great idea that you're getting to, um, and one of the great loose ends and cool loose ends that they just didn't really kind of follow through on. 
um, this idea that, that the big twist of the first people mythology is that it was a self-fulfilling kind of uh, a thing where, you know, Walter created this this machine or the, this, this stuff that they were going to send um, – <clears throat> I think the idea is that they're going to send equipment and maybe one of them, maybe even Peter, way back in time um, and, and kind of like uh, build this elaborate mythology that was going to ultimately save the future in some way, I think. I don't know. I don't like ultimately don't know because as you kind of point out, they they kind of tease you at the end of season three with this – they were cusping, as you said. <laughs> it, it seemed like we were about to just jump into the uh, this really heady, like like void um, of um, of like where is this show going to go from here, um, and like and and really maybe kind of go next level into wonderful weirdness. And then I think you kind of tapped into something interesting, like maybe that was one of the disappointments then of, 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 of season four, and season four definitely does have this sort of like disappointment that dogs it, which is that um, they, uh, it was almost like during the summer they realized that was really a cool idea that we left everyone on, like, like what the hell is the storytelling vehicle for next year? Then, you know? like, how, how do we actually tell stories of fringe based on where we left things. Like, what does an average episode of Fringe look like based on what we were suggesting and what were we suggesting? I don't know if they knew. Um, like, I, I agree with you. I, I, like, like I, I don't really view Fringe as a show that was really written with some kind of master plan. I think that it was written with a way of, like, we can choose, we could approach every season as something separate and different, almost like an album or a concept album, whatever, uh, if you will. And then we'll, we'll figure out what we'll, we'll write ourselves into a wonderful corner and we'll get out of it next season. And with season four, um, you know, like, like they did something really hard. Let's give them credit for this. You know, like um, there were many shows before this, including lost that, that didn't do what, what fringe did. And they didn't do it because of, of, of the implicit dangers in all of it. You know, the idea of like, let's do a timeline reboot in which you're presented with basically kind of new versions of the characters that you've, you, you've lived with. That makes a sort of formal break with the continuity of the past. And it gives you new versions, skewed versions uh, that, uh, of these characters that, that, are, that, are, that are intrinsically the same, but really kind of not the people that you've, you've really kind of lived and breathed with. and. Mm -hmm. and died with for, for, for these, these past several well, seasons. Well, and, like, and, and we're going to make you love them, and yeah. we're going to try to do emotionally resonant storytelling, and we're going we're, we're gonna to try to make it work, and they really gave it a go. And um, I don't know if it really completely worked, but I will say, on a big picture level, I don't know if it really, the, the, on, on a whole, if it, if it worked, but that season, nonetheless, that premise produced some really great episodes yep. along the way. Yep. Well, and you know, I I actually love that that idea of each each season as a concept album because you know one thing about concept albums is you know even the bad ones are pretty interesting and uh, you know season four I, I, as much as I may sort of 
you know, just literally fall to pieces when I try to understand how the animal people on the ship led into, you know, the the, the overarching plot line never quite connected with me. But I, I think that you're right. We need to give them credit. Not only did they kind of reboot all these characters, the first few episodes, they made their lives horribly depressing in some ways. I mean, I mean, Walter, you know, we kind of left him from, in many ways, this sort of high point in the old universe. You know, now he was in charge of Mass of dynamic and he seemed to kind of be getting some of his like you know some 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 of his brain grapes had like you know been returned to him and I mean at the start of season four he was just a complete wreck and I, I think that it does deserve credit for in a way you know telling the story of these characters rediscovering each other now you know one you know then you kind of you know, come into the argument of, well, you know, hadn't we already seen them discover each other? Did we really need to see them rediscover each other? Which is, you know, where you kind of get into some of the difficulty with that season. But I definitely do think that, you know, the show deserves credit, especially, you know, when you consider how this was, this was such a show that in a lot of ways was, was so kind of fan-driven. And, you know, they, they really reached a point in its third season when it was just very clear it was probably not going to get any more viewers. You know, very often shows that have such devoted fan bases they depend on, you know, they, they get a little bit hermetic and, and they get a little bit maybe too pleased with themselves. And you have to say that Fringe, you know, it, it, it almost seemed to be purposefully saying, hey, fans, you like us? Well, we're going to really kind of mess you up this year. <laughs> Right. We're gonna we're gonna mess with the mythology. We're gonna mess with the plot line. See if you could follow along. And, and you know it. I, I think you're right that it, it created some great episodes, even if the whole was sort of less enticing ultimately than the sum of its parts. Yeah, I mean, I think that like in season four, I think of episodes like. Um, well, there was a great episode of Fringe that immediately comes to mind that has nothing to do with the reboot premise, but. Um, those we left behind with Stephen Root, um, uh, you know, the, the husband and wife who are living in their little time bubble, and he keeps on resetting it um, um, to the point just previous to losing his wife to Alzheimer's. Oh, God. It's almost like a, a, a metaphor for the whole season in a way. But look, the, the, the episode about two-thirds of the way in, uh, a short story about love, you know, is was a really great, story um, that could not have been possible without that premise. This whole idea that Olivia starts regaining access to her pre-reboot memories and identity, and she has a choice to make. You know, she can't be both women. You know, she can't be reboot Landy Olivia, and she can't be... um, uh, and, and she can't be, she has to choose one. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so she finds herself with this really tight, great relationship with this woman that has become her mom in the form of Nina Sharp. And she, this is this, this, this the, and, and the life that she's lived, right. That she feels that she's actually experienced, but yet she, um, she knows in her heart and this gut instinct of hers that she sort of belongs with Peter. And despite everything that she's experienced in her life, like um, she still feels very kind of alone and lonely and she yearns for this connection and what she sees in the promise of this original recipe, Olivia, that she now has access to is that if I, if I allow myself to become this woman and let that identity take me over, I'm going to have that connection that we all need and, I, and that actually feels to me like the, the possibility of being 
a more fulfilling life. I get to be who I am. I get to be a richer person, and I get to have that connection. But that would mean giving up these emotional connections to, like, um, her, this person that uh, that that um, that she kind of has believes is her mom, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, I I thought I was really riveted by this internal conflict and how they made that work and the ultimate choice that she made. Um, I, that, that was that was really good stuff. It's so interesting. Well, and and you know that's just something too. Where and you know not not that everything science fictiony needs to have a, a clear cut sort of theme or meaning. But to me, that I always thought that episode had an interesting take on really what it means to fall in love, maybe, or, or certainly you know what it means to sort of you know be in a relationship. This sort of sense of you know yeah you you do kind of in this weird way leave other people behind when you kind of you know enter into a a, a serious relationship, uh, but I, I always thought that that kind of had like that really kind of had that 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 sort of fringe layer of the, the cosmic the cosmic becoming personal that I'm apparently so all about because I I think I've used that same phrase five times in this podcast. Jeff, I I I'd be remiss if if I didn't ask you this since you. I consider you an expert on this show. Uh, you're certainly an expert on Lost. You already kind of mentioned this show came out in in the sort of you know conclusionary wake of Lost. It, it debuted while that show was still on. It's now been on for a few years afterwards. How do you think it compares? You know, like uh, did it did it take anything from that earlier show? Did it make any of the same mistakes? What's your kind of take on the correlation of these two? J.J. Abrams. Uh, you know, projects. Um, I do think that Lost is the superior show um, for for any number of reasons. I think it was a harder show to do. Um, I think that ultimately it had more um, more interesting characters. Uh, I think that um, for for a good half of it, um, you know, it was far more relatable um, than. To, to to its to its audience than than um uh than fringe was um i think that and i think that it just it took more storytelling chances storytelling chances and uh um i, I and i just kind of just frankly like it mm-hmm. um, more than fringe in a way that like you know is 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 just is just personal you know mm-hmm. um i think that I think that one of the reasons why I do think that that Lost is a superior work to Fringe is that the creative story of Lost, no matter how you feel about how it ended, it was a show that 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 launched like um, it was kind of a show that really from the get go was allowed to pursue its, its 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 creative fate on its own terms, and so like it it began as this very distinct, unique animal. And it kind of felt like it flowed organically, and the the storytellers just took it where where they thought it felt like it it needed to go, and then ultimately where they personally wanted it to go. Um, and um, and I I feel like from an artistic point of view, it has more integrity that way um, than Fringe did, which Fringe began. I mean, it was a show that came together very quickly that was comprised of very sort of, um, uh, to be honest with you, very cliche elements um, that was very way too indebted to its inspirations um, and really struggled 
um, and, 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 and was stewed and stirred and, 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 and together in a way that was, that was almost like formulaically designed um, to get a big audience or what its makers thought could get a big audience, a big mainstream audience for a science fiction show. And it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, 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 and season, um, at least not very well. Um, it got by on a lot of sort of like entertainment values and a lot of promise, but it just, it wasn't working. It wasn't until about halfway through the season, they started making some, some adjustments in which they, they found the proper storytelling voice for the show in terms of what could be a, a, a good, uh, perspective, a good story for French to tell and a good perspective on its own stories. But even into season two, <clears throat> Excuse me. Season two is a clunky bit of business too. I, you know, what we we can go through every single season of Fringe, and we can almost every single season of Fringe, and and and, and, and each of them has their own identity, right? Season one is the the clunky beginning, <laughs> building the origin, right? <laughs> season three is the split universe, parallel universe storytelling that leads up to the reboot. Season four is reboot Landia. Season five is set in the future. What is the personality of season two, I ask you? <laughs> the, the shapeshifter season? It was, it was the shapeshifter season in which agents from the other side were infiltrating this world and preparing for a big move against the over here world. It has no personality. Well, 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 and it's, even, it's even funny. I mean, you know, sort of bringing up the clunkiness, one of my sort of favorite things about that second season uh, is, um, well, favorite. One of the things that is sort of fun to look at in hindsight is the season two premiere, they sort of do this weird series of scenes where they introduce this character. I think she's another FBI agent. And like they kind of give her the walking tour, literally as if it's kind of like, oh, like welcome to the show Fringe. This is where oh, we yeah. do all of our... But it's even better because I'm pretty sure that's the one episode where, for some reason, I've never been able to tell, it almost entirely sidelines Olivia. And you get the sense that like going forward, Peter's going to be the guy doing the investigation. And like you know, Peter's the real star of this. Show. And it just... you. you, you you can sense that they're they're still in this interesting process of you know yeah what what is this show who you know how can we sort of put these characters in such a position where you know the stories will be really kind of interesting and it, it's it's an interesting I, I I would say that yeah that that's the season where you know there's these flashes of brilliance and flashes of God only knows what and it makes for an interesting conglomeration of episodes right it was like coming out of season one it's like okay. We have our we we have our distinctive story idea. We're we're gonna work parallel universes. That's gonna be our thing, um, and uh, that's going to be the key to our mythology. And it's gonna be very personally based. Um, now, what do we do? Well, um, they still kind of didn't have an idea for a big picture story. That said, um, you know. I love the fact that in season one they decided to accelerate their plan to sort of um, reveal to the viewers that they had this parallel world mythology um, and that uh, and, and going into season two was something that they were going to um, dig deeply into. 
yes, it got off to a horribly awkward start. At the beginning of the season, it was a little bit like, okay, we let out a lot of rope, at the uh, uh, more rope than we thought yeah. um, at, the, at the second half of first season. Now let's reel it in, okay? They're going like, to be typing on a typewriter that's in front of a mirror. Oh, man. Right. And, and, <laughs> and you know, um, uh, th- there were some other things about the first half of the, of the second season that, were, that, w- that was a little shaky. But um, because they had done this for themselves – they decided to, you know, dig into their mythology, their parallel world mythology, alternate universe mythology. Um, it, um, you know, when they decided in the second season to like, okay, we're going to give um, a, a, a big sort of download of mythology now. I mean, those episodes rocked. Um, it, it was season two as an album metaphor, you know, like, um, like it, it lacks identity but some individual but, but but some individual tracks especially in the second half were great you know this was i believe the season of peter this is definitely the episode of the season of white tulip this was the season of brown betty um um you know which is actually an off topic um per, uh, alternate universe storyline um but i mean like it you know, there were some really classic cuts. Like, You're right, yeah. They, they, like, that's kind of like, you know, the band is still kind of trying to be like a hit band. They put out an album with some good singles, but, the, but you know, like not, a, you know, there's, you know, it, it's, it's sort of hit or miss. Then they decide, you know what, we're not going to be popular anymore. We're just going to get weird. And that's when you get to season three, which in this case is, I don't know, the White Album or something like that. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know very much about, about music, but... Uh, <laughs> Right. Uh, Yeah. um, But I mean, you know, we kind of went down this road because of the comparison between Lost and Fringe. And, you know, ultimately, you know, the the great story of of Fringe is that evolved into its own animal. And that's the big lesson that I kind of like take away um, from um, the whole Fringe experiment, which is, you know, this was a show that was created for for any number of behind the scenes reasons, um, but um, but it, it it was created to be a hit. Its legacy is that it became special by 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 just you know forgetting about being a hit and just trying to find its own voice and and in, in a really cool artistic unique way and um, and. Uh, you know, it's 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 one of those shows that I think is just a valuable lesson for anyone trying to build a show. Um, and uh, I think that's what's also really interesting is that how you know when I don't know if I believe this or not, but when you hear the people talk about uh, Lost, they talk about it as a show that was really supposed to be a cult classic, um, but became a phenomenon, and then it kind of by the end kind of settled into its cult. Um, again, although it was a rather large cult, <laughs> um, and and as a, as such, it, I I don't think it really offers any kind of like lessons to anyone um, uh, in terms of you know people you know even at the magazine we've written for years and years you know what's going to be the next lost what's going to be the next lost the story of the uh, of lost is that there can be no next lost it ca- it captured lightning in a bottle it was just one of those shows that you know if you take them at their word like you know it 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 was it was unique it was certainly certifiably unique from the get go 
um, and it was created to, to basically be a, a, a very sort of rarefied, specialized show that just somehow caught on. Like, you just can't, like, scientifically, qualitatively analyze these things. It just, it just struck a nerve, and it became huge. And then it became progressively less huge, and, um, and it settled into this group of diehards that were either satisfied or polarized by where it ultimately landed, and I don't think it offers any lessons to anyone who wants to replicate it, because you just can't. But what's interesting to me about the, the, the story of Fringe is here's a show that basically kind of like will end its run by being a kind of show that, 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 that television is just making more and more of these days, which is it seems like every show is a cult show is what I'm getting to. And every show is sort of like, you know, let, let, let's create a show that we know that can have an audience that, that, and, and, and just please that audience. And, and if we could just please that audience, um, we could maybe stay on the air for two, three, four, five years. Um, so let's, let's find who we are. Let's find our identity very, very quickly in a very organic way. And then let's just, like, let's just continue work to satisfy the people who are watching us. Does that make sense? Jeff, like, you just explained all of television to me. I, I really hope that, like, that, that was, uh, I, 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 I was sitting here slack-jawed. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I think that you really hit on something about Fringe that I hadn't even, I hadn't even really thought of before. But yeah, like, it, it's fascinating that Really, in a way, it almost feels like a show that comes from already a much earlier era of TV history. I mean, I, I, I almost feel like now that you know cable has ascended so much, it's almost hard to imagine this was literally built to be this sort of big hit. You know, it's got everything you could ask for. It's a little bit X Files. It's it's a little bit actiony, and you know, it's, it's even funny to remember what the uh, you know what the advertising was like for it back in the day. I mean, it really had that sort of you know J.J. Abrams mystery box kind of sheen to it, and uh, it it is funny how yeah, it's just. It's a show that was supposed to be big, and it somehow has instead become a, a beautiful, unique little snowflake. You know, I mean, even if even if every street corner in New York City looks like the same Vancouver street corner, it, it, it's still you're 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 really right. Though. Well, and I I think to your point, I mean, thinking about legacy, that's really an interesting thing to point out. That you know, it's 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 almost like any TV show could learn a lot from Fringe just because it's sort of within this initial structure of being very episodic and really, I think you pointed out, constructed quite clearly from a bunch of cliches. It managed, what it managed to do with that and how it managed to really personalize itself is, you know, nothing sort of remarkable. I mean, you know, Lost was always going to be, you know, once once it finally got made in the, in the entirely insane sequence of events that led to it being made, it was always going to be, you know, something very different, if only because, you know, few other shows in history have been set on an island. Few. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think you're right. There's, there, is, there is a sense that Fringe, out of, you know, 
in in the spirit of being just like everybody else, it became utterly unlike anything else, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jeff, we've 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 now talked. We we have now wowed our listeners for over an hour about this. Uh, do you have any final thoughts going into this week's finale about about this show? Anything you know, uh, either either your personal reaction to it, or just you know your your personal hope for the future uh, for, for 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 the last couple episodes, or for the um, for the finale you know, rather. I. What I what I'm really hoping for from the finale is um, something trippy, something challenging, something that reminds me why I love these people, um, and uh, and and something that uh, something that holds out hope for what I think the future of Fringe uh, is and should be, which is my friend, a movie. Ooh, okay. The the end may not be the end. Um, uh, I, I, there's no reason why this. Why, I just think that like I, like this is a group of people that I that if there's I wouldn't say this about every show I love, but there's just something about this property, these characters, and this world. I think there's a two hour fringe movie in the future. I just I just think there is. All right. Well, well, well. Then uh, we'll definitely talk about that for two hours in about two years. But uh, in in the meantime, uh, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, Jeff, we should definitely we'll 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 chat about the finale next week. Though you know, uh, we'll we'll sort of see where it where it left off before we move on to more things. Um, but uh, thanks again for listening, everybody. Uh, as always, I'm Darren Franich. I'm Jeff Jensen. Have a good one. Bye.